Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the penultimate episode of season two with Listen of Listen Closely with John and Chris. I am John out here on the East Coast as always. And I'm joined as always with the man on the West Coast. Hello, Christopher. Hello, my friend. Hello. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. There we go. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's raining out here, which is super surprising, seeing as how it's Washington State in the winter. I mean, do you do you sometimes scratch your head and go, what the hell? I mean, it always rains in this state where I'm in. And what the hell am I doing out here, right? Yeah, well, it's beautiful from, say, May to through October. And then November's okay. And then December to December through March, April is it's just constantly raining. So, um, yeah. But listen, just, well, then you, you can, you can fess up here and, and you could say that you moved out there largely for money, <laughs> but, um, you know what they say about money, right? Uh, more money, more problems. No money talks, but it don't sing and dance and it don't walk. There we go. You see what I did there. You see what you did. <laughs> so we could keep going back and forth with this uh, for, for quite a while. Um, but uh, let's, not, let's not do that because I may have had a little too much red, red wine tonight. Oh. So um, I know you're out there nursing a little crackling rosy. So why don't you tell our loyal listeners what's in store for them with this week's episode well we're going back 45 years to 1976 and we are doing an album by one of the all-time greats a man who is celebrating his 80th birthday this month which is hard to believe that's right january 24th january 24th yeah the album is Beautiful Noise, and the artist is the great Mr. Neil Diamond. Oh, yes. The one and only Neil Diamond. And Chris, listen, it goes without saying, for I think the entire time that we've known one another, we've been fans of Neil Diamond, which I think is absolutely crazy, right? We, Yeah, I mean, we've been Neil Diamond fans probably. We met in second grade. We were... <laughs> We were probably the only two second graders who were fans of Neil Diamond at the time. Uh, we were probably a couple of the, the few Neil Diamond's fans in our teen years, and I, certainly still today. Uh, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because from a young age, my mother was always playing Neil Diamond. And uh, the jazz singer soundtrack in particular was quite popular in, in our house in the mid-1980s and when I was say seven or eight years old so right around the time that we met I had three favorite groups or singers and um, they, they were insanely different um can I guess yes please uh all right I feel like one was the monkeys no that came a little bit later but okay, okay. I'll give you another guess oh I'm at a lot I mean 
obviously one is Neil Diamond. I, I don't know who are the other two. <laughs> Neil Diamond, Cheap Trick, and Air Supply. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> these were my, these were that was my trifecta. You were like a forty-something divorced dad in the body of a seven-year-old. It's really yeah, exactly. I was the same then as I am now, um, <laughs> except I'm I'm not divorced and I'm not a dad. At least I don't think I am. Um, we, can't, we can't count it out, but yeah, turn. Ooh, I mean, anything's possible. <laughs> but yeah, talk about diversity with those three. That's incredible. Uh, and you know, I've been fortunate over the years to have seen all three in concert, not at the same concert but that would have been one amazing triple bill oh uh, yeah. it should say i should say for two of those three you were with me that's right that's right i we were we saw cheap trick at the norwalk oyster festival i believe yeah i want to say that was maybe 2004 i saw them twice okay. i saw them at toad's place in new haven a few years prior with with our friend jim Moskater, who's on the show from time to time oh sure and, sure and then, yeah, you and I saw him at the Oyster Fest. And then, of course, we saw Neil. We did, yeah. Um, yeah, I saw Neil twice. And uh, that one, I believe we were behind the stage, right? Uh, you know, we were sort of behind the stage of Madison Square Garden. It was right after 9-11. Um, yeah, and it turned out, I mean, we were behind the stage, but it was an open stage. So it was, it was really great seats. We had a real nice view, as I, as I recall. You could watch the Jewish Elvis shake his ass for two hours. Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. No, it was, it was an incredible concert. I, I have loved Neil Diamond for years. And like you said, Chris, it's impossible to believe that this man is 80. And were it not for Parkinson's, he would still be performing and he'd still be touring on a regular basis. Um, yeah, we're fortunate to have seen him. And you saw him a second time, did you not? I did. I saw him uh, twice at the, both times at the Garden. Um, that, that's absolutely incredible. But now, let me ask you this. Did you ever see Air Supply in concert? I never saw Air Supply. No, I'm, I'm a little jealous. When, when did you see them? That would have been, I want to say, shortly after we saw Neil, uh, Air Supply played a uh, free concert at Mohegan Sun Casino in the little lounge area, the Wolf Den. And um, I took my my then girlfriend, uh, who was like fresh out of college. I mean, I was only like two or three years out of college. And I think she was really weirded out that, uh, you know, for a date, I, I took her to see her supply. <laughs> it's a recurring theme of this podcast, is you taking women on dates to acts that they just really can't fathom. Yeah, I mean that that anyone would would want to go see Air Supply, who's in their twenties. Right. Um, you, know, you know, when you had a, you saw a couple of guys in their fifties who hadn't had a hit in twenty years. It was very strange. But I'll tell you what, Air Supply puts on a great great concert. But listen, we're not here this week to talk about Air Supply. Although I would gladly uh, <laughs> do an episode devoted to them. We're here to talk about Neil Diamond, and in particular, we're here to talk about Beautiful Noise. What are your opening thoughts on this album? Well, Beautiful Noise is, I would say it's one of the more interesting albums that we've done. I would also say that it's 
one of uh, looked at on the from the usual lens it's one of the more flawed albums that we've done on this podcast but i don't think the usual lens is really the way to look at it um i think this is really neil diamond's ode in many ways to the music of america and i don't even mean just rock and roll or pop i mean he's pulling out uh, you know, there's some songs on here that have a distinctive jazz note to them. There's some that have uh, even a Dixieland feel to them. Some kind of a ragtime sound, yeah. Ragtime, yeah. Um, and so it, it's very strange because on the one hand, you have these very powerful ballads, um, like If You Know What I Mean, or Dry Your Eyes, or Lady O. Uh, but then you also get some other songs in there that you know, frankly, today they sound very dated and they may have sounded very dated back in 1976 when this came out, to be honest. Um, but I think, you know, he was, he was making an album that in part was a tribute to maybe some of the music of his youth. Um, That's what I think it was. Yeah, and it, it's a real mishmash of sounds at times. Um, and I think the, the title, Beautiful Noise, is it sort of alludes to that, that, uh, you know, it's a sort of a conglomeration of all of these different sounds. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, it's, it's a pretty damn good album. Uh, it is. And especially at the top, you know, it's, it's a little top heavy, but, you know, there are three, four songs on here that are just phenomenal. They're A-plus songs, those three or four. Yep. And that's what makes this album. Because you're right, it's a, it's a very peculiar album. And there's, a, as you said it, Chris, there's a mishmash of different sounds going on. But I think it's a very personal and heartfelt concept album of sorts. Mm -hmm. And this is Neil's ode to Tin Pan Alley, uh, the, the New York City music scene of the late 19th century, early 20th century. And presumably, this is the music that his parents, who I think were children of Eastern European Jewish immigrants, listened to. So, yeah, the end result of the album is this weird uh, hodgepodge or mishmash, as you said, of ragtime, jazz. But then there's hints of easy listening, maybe a little bit of marina rock. Um, sure. I also think it's interesting because... I think this is Neil's fond look back, not only at his um, his youth or his his parents, uh, the music that they were listening to, um, but also his early days as a singer songwriter in the early 1960s when he was just getting started, and his sound was maybe somewhat more influenced by the Tin Pan Alley style and sound. Um, Hmm. This is a man who was uh, a decade or so into his career and probably thought that he was at the halfway point of it. Because back then, we didn't know that rock and rollers or singer-songwriters would be writing and performing into their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, so the end result is a man who was, I think, taking a sentimental look back, even though he was like 35 years old at the time. But it works. And um, there's no big hit on this album in the sense that Sweet Caroline, uh, which is a song I could 
go the rest of my life without hearing again or or crack when rosy or i am i said was but instead it's this interesting collection of 11 songs many of which come from the heart which i i think the best of neil diamond's songwriting does absolutely absolutely i mean he has an ability to to pull on the heartstrings uh in ways that few can um he has just that voice you know it's a real his voice is like a warm blanket you know it just kind of surrounds you and and even when it's a little gritty and raspy there's still something just so uh warm about it and warm and comforting yeah yeah he's uh you know some of his ballads they're the classic you know i mean he sang red red wine but it's the classic you know bottle of red wine, late night, thinking about a woman staring longingly out the window, you know, that kind of thing. Um, he, he, he's just the, the consummate performer. Yes, consummate performer, incredible lyricist. And this really captures him at, a, at an interesting moment in his career. And I think Another important thing to talk about is the partnership on this album between Neil Diamond and Robbie Robertson of the band. Sure. Uh, Robertson produced the album, and it is, in fact, a strange pairing, but uh, and one that I think Robertson got a lot of flack for. Mm -hmm. um, but I credit Robbie Robertson for backing Neil Diamond with a group of Sessions musicians who were some of the best of that era. If you look at who plays on this album, uh, you've got David Paik, or Page, whatever we decided it is, of, of uh, Toto and Silk Degrees, Boss Gags band. Right. He plays on a couple of tracks, as does Jim Gordon, the drummer we spoke of earlier this season from Derek and the Dominoes, you know, the, the fellow who bludgeoned his mother to death. That's your favorite, yeah. My favorite, yes. <laughs> uh, members of the band play on this album. And I think this is important because many people had, by this point in the mid-1970s, uh, written Neil Diamond off, I think, as relevant and tacky. Uh, but having him join forces with Robbie Robertson and having them play with these musicians on this album, I think, makes a big difference and gives this album a whole other level of, of credibility. I agree. I mean, you know, Neil, at this point, like you said, he was, you know, I think a lot of people had thought that he had sold out, uh, basically, to go for kind of the easy listening lounge lizard kind of thing. And, you know, in the in the great uh, Martin Scorsese documentary, The Last Waltz, yes, about the band, <coughs> you know, he there was a lot of criticism of Robbie Robertson from, from both people in the band, like Levon Helm and, um, and outside, you know, people who performed during that, like Neil Young, um, who were very critical of Robertson for wanting to involve Neil Diamond in that, you know, sort of farewell celebration to the band. Um, and a lot of those guys come off like real dicks. <laughs> they do. And a lot of those guys are real dicks. I mean, let's face it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> some of the stuff about Neil Young, the, the way that that he treated Neil Diamond, uh, you know, if it's true, is just really 
uh, it's just kind of garbage to treat anyone that way. But you know, he Neil, referred to him backstage as Neil Sedaka. Didn't yeah. he? That's what I read. Is that right? <laughs> but Young also went on stage, and if you watch, uh, if you watch it closely, you can see he's got a coke booger hanging from his nose. Uh, Neil Young, not Neil Diamond, right. uh, for, for the duration of his performance right. um, in the last waltz. And and when poor Neil Diamond walks on stage, the applause is kind of dismal. He looks out of place, but he hits it out of the park with Dry Your Eyes. It is a tremendous performance of Dry Your Eyes, yeah. And, you know, Neil, Neil is a great songwriter, and, and earlier in his career um you know he had a lot of things that were really more in the vein of the the 60s singer songwriter you know the late 60s that era that are are really you know almost dylan-esque in a way um and i think people at that point had sort of forgotten just you know just how talented a musician he was right that's right even though by the 70s he was starting to become the punchline of a lot of jokes i think Sure, sure. And what's amazing is to think, you know, that, that was that was 45 years ago. And then the guy went on to perform for, you know, what, another 35, 40 more. Um, That's right. So, he, you know, he had so many iterations to his career. Uh, and this one, you know, it's tough to, to say, I think, what the best Neil album is. But I think you can make a pretty good case that that this is it. I would agree. I think it was the most ambitious I think it was probably the most important. And as you said at the onset of this, Chris, uh, there are a handful of songs in this that are just absolutely top notch. Yep. But now Neil Young and members of the band were not the only ones uh, to shit on Neil Diamond <laughs> at this time. Let's talk about the critical reception a little bit, shall we? Yeah. Uh, rock, rock critic Robert Christigo, uh proclaimed this to be a monstrous record hmm. and not in a good way but went on to say that it takes a special kind of chutzpah to create a monster um okay. in a more contemporary review from 2010 bbc music said that there's a highly pleasant lightness to nearly all of this album so i guess that's uh, somewhat of a positive review Mm. And uh, the Chicago Tribune called it one of Neil Diamond's best albums. So I guess this was mixed. And the album would go on to sell over one million copies in the United States and would be certified platinum. So I guess it can't be all that bad. Sure, sure. Speaking of bad, <laughs> what's your nadir for this? Well, there were a few options I felt like. Um... And like I said, this album to me, it, you know, it, it's pretty up and down. I feel like the back half of it is is extremely strong. Um, but early on, you know, you start out with Beautiful Noise, which is not, it's not one of my favorite Neil songs, but I, it's not even one of my favorite ones on the album, but it's, I think it's a good out, a good song to kick off the album with it. it it's got a lot of pacing to it. Uh, it's really upbeat. It kind of gets you going. The problem for me is a track number two with Stargazer. Um, <laughs> that one to me, this is a very Dixieland ragtime kind of sound with the horns. Um, 
and I get what Neil was doing. I think it's sort of a tribute to that era, but especially today, and I would think maybe even back then, it comes off as really campy to me. Oh, big time. And I just think that it really, in addition to not being a great song, to have it second on the album, it really stalls the momentum. Um, you know, after that, you've got you've got some really good tracks. Lady O, uh, you know, if you know what I mean, comes up a little bit after that. But Stargazer just kind of grinds it to a halt. And I think if this is your first time listening to this album, I would think a lot of people hear that and they go, I'm not going any further. Like, what do I want to hear this ragtime stuff for? <laughs> so that's my nadir. Yeah, and you know what? It's one that I almost went with as my nadir. Uh, and I, I would have to agree with you. I think that um, this album is a few low points for me. And I don't necessarily love the ragtime Irving Berlin-esque stuff on here, whatever the hell you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and I would say that Stargazer is probably my second to last favorite song on the album. Um, <laughs> okay. What, what one that I dislike even more is, and it's, it's a close, it's close, you know, uh, but it's, Track number five, Surviving the Life. Uh, you had called Stargazer campy. And it's funny because in my notes here for Stargazer, I put too kitschy, too campy. Uh, for, for Surviving the Life, rather. Yep. Uh, you know, the musicianship on the song isn't all that bad, as is the case with the rest of the album. And particularly that funky piano in the beginning and the, uh, the Hammond organ from the band's Garth Hudson, I just don't like this song, Surviving <laughs> Life. And I agree with you. If you're new to this album, if you're somewhat new to Neil, you start off with Beautiful Noise and you're like, oh, you know, all right, I can get into this. It's a good opener. But then you listen to Stargazer and you're going, ooh, what the hell is going on here? Uh, then you go to Lady O, which is a stellar track very smooth you know mm -hmm. then it's don't think feel which is mm, all right then it's surviving the life which basically has the album bottoming out before it regains momentum with if you know what i mean so yeah it's that first side is a is a tricky tricky one yeah yeah that that's i think we probably are have just flip-flopped our our least favorite and next to least favorite because that was up there on my list. Uh, I agree with all that. I, I think this one, there's some a couple moments in there where I feel like it kind of picks up a little bit of momentum and and I start to get invested a little bit, but ultimately, yeah, it comes off as campy. Um, and and yeah, I think that you know that's one of the big issues with this album is that I think you've got the two worst songs in the first what five tracks yeah. um so it it's it's tough to recover from and it, it does it certainly does recover from it but uh yeah not a great start no not at all let's move on to, to the better better parts of the album shall we let's do it okay what do you have 
for your sleeper moment? There were a few options here. You know, this song, this album, as you said, it it didn't have a lot of huge hits. I mean, I think if you know what I mean, was the only was that the only single off this album? I believe it was. I believe it was. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of sleeper options. Um, for me, I went with what I would say is a a deep sleeper, a, a deep cut. Um, not necessarily, you know, this is not my second favorite song on the album, but uh, it's one that it just makes me smile. It's it's a little ridiculous, but I think in the case of this one, it gets away with it. And that is Street Life. Um, Interesting. Which it comes right after, if you know what I mean. I, I believe it's the, what is it? The seventh track? One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, it's the first song on side two, if you're listening to the LP. Okay, there you go. Uh, it's very upbeat. It's basically Neil taking you through his vision of what I assume is New York City street life. Um, hey, let me show you the street life. Hey, let me show you the Finks, the punks, the judge, the junkie. Um, say, boy, you got to get street wise. Hey, little boy, you're a babe in my arms. Stay out of harm's way. It's, it is campy, uh, but there's something about it that there's an energy to it that I really like. And, you know, it makes me laugh. There's a, there's a lot of horns and woodwinds going on in this. And they're used a lot of the time almost as sound effect type things. Like this song reminds me of watching like a 1970s detective show, you know, like those, those kind of little uh, woodwind like trill. Kojak or Barney Miller or <laughs> Rockford Files. And what do we like? Yeah. Like a Starsky and Hutch or Rockford Files. Like, Okay. Uh, you know, when the when you see the villain kind of emerge around the corner and there's some little... Oh, I see. Yeah. You know I mean, like, it, it's very, it's very kitschy, but uh, it just works for me. It just works for me. Coming after, if you know what I mean, which is such an emotional powerhouse, uh, I think this brings a sort of fun levity uh, that is very much needed at that point. I'm incredibly surprised by that choice, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> it's not a bad song. I don't like it all that much, but as we discussed, there are worse songs on this album for sure. sure. But this album is stacked with sleepers, and I'm just surprised you went with that one. Yeah, you know, I think part of why I went with it as a sleeper too is because... Because you knew I wouldn't. Well, maybe a little bit, yeah. But but also, the other ones that I would have considered as, as sleepers that are probably my second, third, fourth favorite songs on the album, um, they're just kind of uniformly awesome to me. Whereas this one, you know, there are there are things in this song that make me cringe a little bit. Um, so it, it has, I think when you, when you started this podcast, your very original definition of a sleeper was not just necessarily a song that, you know, kind of slides under the radar. It can be that, but it can also be one that depending on your mood, it kind of catches you in different ways. Um, and I feel like that's what this one does. You know, when I'm in the right mood, it, it really, uh, 
just really cooks for me. Wow. Okay. That's all I'll say. What did you go with? What's your sleeper? Well, listen, this was a tough call, as I often say on this podcast. There were no less than three songs that I was torn between going back and forth with for the sleeper. In the end, I went with a sad little ballad on the second side, uh, or track eight, if you're listening to the uh, CD, Mm. and that is Home is a Wounded Heart. Oof, yeah. This song is beautiful and absolutely heart-wrenching. And could we talk about what a fucking song title? (laughs) It's just... It's it's like... I almost want to get married just to have it start to go to shit and have somebody ask me like, Hey, John, how are things going at home? You know, life and everything. I could be like, listen, uh, home is a wounded heart. Okay. (laughs) Like it's, it's seriously though, this, this song to me is the definition of sleeper. Most casual Neil fans have never heard of this or heard the song at all. Uh, but it's got that same jaded, world-weary sweep that uh, more famous Neil ballads like Love on the Rocks, uh, I Am I Said, or or the great I've Been This Way Before have. Oof. Uh, and frankly, I think this song is almost as good as those. And, um, you know, lyrically, it's, it's, it's quite powerful, quite moving, but it's simple. There's three stanzas in the song. And uh, they're just beautiful and eloquent. And as I said earlier, just heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. And it all crescendos uh, halfway through the song where he, uh, he sings, and I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a complicated thing, not an ordinary thing. And my heart just breaks in two. Because I can see you standing there. You know I can't bear your wounded heart. Paint me a red balloon. Give me a string and baby, I'll tie it. Give me a ring and baby, I'll buy it and bring it on home to you. Home is a wounded heart. It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I love the song. It's yeah, no, I I agree. This is one of my top two or three favorite songs on the album. Um, and <laughs> just to follow up on your on the title, I mean, it also you look at the the names of the tracks on this album. Beautiful Noise, Stargazer, Lady O, Don't Think, Feel, Surviving the Life, If You Know What I Mean, Street Life, and then you get Home is a Wounded Heart. I mean, it just <laughs> kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful. It's a real beautiful torch song, I guess you'd probably call it. Um, it's Neil at his best, singing about uh, lost loves and, and hope. Uh, Although... You know, and it's interesting you should say that because I always heard the song that way. But when you really listen closely, mm-hmm. and if you, if you look at the lyrics, mm-hmm. uh, he's the one that's out having a good time playing around, I think. She's the one sitting home by the fire waiting for him, as he says. Um, and right? it could be one, yeah, if you read the lyrics, yeah. And it could be one of those situations where maybe he knows the marriage has gone to shit. and. Uh, you know, his way of dealing with it is his street life. It's, uh, you know, don't think, feel, right? And But she's the one that's that's home, sitting there, waiting for him, but uh, he's just letting it all go to pieces. 
Makes sense, right? Because I can see you standing there. You know that I can't bear your wounded heart. Yeah, I, that kind of just glossed over me. Wow. Exactly. And he's saying, you know, give me a ring and baby, I'll buy it. Like, if that's what you want to make it right, I'll do it. But I think he knows it's, it's done. Yeah. Relationships, not, not long for this world. Very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. All right, then. Well, what's your zenith? Lay it on me. This one was easy. Mm -hmm. As soon as we talked about doing this album, uh, because to me, it is, it is probably to me the best Neil Diamond song. I think you could, I think you make a case for I Am I Said, or um, uh, what was the other one that you just referenced? Uh, I've been this way before. Yeah, a bit of a, a deeper Neil cut that, that we both love. But this one for me, uh, you know, I can remember my parents playing this when, when I was a kid and it's just sort of ingrained in my psyche. Um, if you know what I mean, uh, to me, it's one of the great, one of the great uh, lost love songs of all time. It is epic, uh, it's haunting, lyrically, it's tremendous. I mean, look at the, look at the beginning. When the night returns, just like a friend, when the evening comes to set me free, when the quiet hours that wait beyond the day make peaceful sounds in me. Um, and then you get into just this incredibly man's man verse that took a drag from my last cigarette, took a drink from a glass of old wine. I closed my eyes and I could make it real and feel it one more time. It's perfect to me. It's a perfect song. Um, I think Neil's vocal on it is exceptional. I think there's, there's parts of this, you know, the, the do you hear it babe line? That's a really hard line to deliver, I think, without sounding either A, over the top or B, kind of cheesy. Uh, but he, he nails it. Um, and this song has such a beautiful kind of ebb and flow to it. And by the end, it's just crescendoing. Uh, perfect song, perfect song. We could just end it now because my <laughs> my notes are pretty much everything you just said, uh, almost verbatim. <laughs> and um, I I'll, I'll read a few of my notes, and it's that there's there's one song that stands head and shoulders above the rest, and it's if you know what I mean. Not only is it my pick for the album Zenith, but I can make a compelling argument as to why this is Neil Diamond's single greatest song hands down and i would agree with you a hundred percent i'll add a couple things to what you said because i think you're right on the money with your assessment with the vocal delivery with the the powerhouse uh, moving lyrics but also i go back to something i said earlier how he was you know 10 15 years into his career neil's in his mid-30s when he writes this song it makes sense uh, this is not a song he could have written at the same time as, say, Holly Holy, Red Red Wine, Cracklin' Rosie. Sure. Uh, this is a mature song from a man who's starting to really look back on his life. And um, it's this beautiful, sweeping, and sometimes tender meditation on loss of innocence, on looking back and realizing that time has slipped away. And, starting to wonder where the hell it all went. Mm. I mean, hell, this, this could have been an Eagles song, you know? And um, 
I the line that always always gets me. I mean, the entire song, start to finish, lyrically, is just perfection. Mm-hmm. But the line that always gets me, no matter how many times I listen to it, and I've heard the song probably tens of thousands of times, is and here's to the songs we used to sing. Here's to the times we used to know. It's hard to hold them in our arms again, but hard to let them go. Yeah. And that's classic Neil Diamond, folks. This is why Neil is Neil, and this is why we're here talking about him on this week's episode. This is a perfect song. This is the greatest Neil Diamond song. Case closed. Yeah. Now, now let me ask you this, though, because the refrain to this is, it's fantastic, but it is, it's a bit odd, right? And the radio played like a carnival tune as we lay in our bed in the other room. And we gave it away for the sake of a dream in a penny arcade, if you know what I mean. The what what do you think this is about? I mean, I get the themes that are flowing through here, but what if you had to kind of pin it down more to turn this into a a picture or a story? What's going on? I think it was a first love and a first uh, perhaps sexual experience, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that feeling you have sometimes of, uh, well, I'm going to be with this person forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, that feeling you have sometimes afterwards when you're like, well, you know, that was good, but uh, <laughs> things may never be the same after this. But you, you go back to it in your mind because it was such a watershed moment in your, in your life. Why did they, I, the part, the part that has always kind of, eluded me a little bit until I guess recently is we gave it away for the sake of a dream in a penny arcade. Like what do they get? They're giving away their relationship. You know, that's a good question. I don't know. I'll tell you what I, cause it's always been a little mysterious to me. I think they, they kind of, were they pimped out? <laughs> I think it's about, they were together and they had something good, but they kind of were both chasing the grass as other is always greener. You know, they had kind of dreams of, of better things and maybe better people. And they chase those. And then later on, he's looking and he's saying, Hey, I had what we had was, was the real deal. And, uh, you know, we gave it away cause we were looking for something better. Just my take. I don't know. Interesting. And it haunted him all those years later. I think so. Well, I may never look at that song the same way. Yeah. Who knows? We got to get Neil on the show. He can tell us. Well, you know, he's not touring, so he has plenty of time. (laughs) Uh, Chris, any pop culture references or particular memories associated with this album or any of the songs on the album? Well, there's two, there's two things. One is very silly. Uh, I I can't remember if this is something that you used to say sing as a joke or if you actually thought. <laughs> I I knew you were going to bring this up, yeah. <laughs> but uh, in the mid '80s, there was there was a film called Beyond Rangoon. No, no, no. it was in the mid '90s. The, the was it the mid '90s? Yeah, with Patricia Arquette. Okay, Beyond Rangoon. <laughs> But I can remember you singing, I assume, as a joke, 
and the radio played like a carnival tune as we lay <laughs> in our bed beyond Rangoon. <laughs> it legitimately sounded to me like he said that too for you know a few times. Um, yeah, so that was that was one little thing. Did you ever see Beyond Rangoon the film? I, I don't even know what it's about. What it's it was part of like in the in the '90s. It was big to have like films of like dynamic thirty-something, uh, forty-something women getting caught up overseas in some like international shit that was going down. Okay. So Trisha Arquette plays a woman who's on vacation and ends up caught up in like some like revolution in Myanmar. Okay. Um, but this would be in the same genre as like, remember Not Without My Daughter? Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was it's a that's, whole genre. What's that? that? That was a whole genre. It was a whole genre, yeah. It yeah. was, but uh, I had a feeling you'd bring that up. Beyond Ray yeah. Doon. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the other thing though is, and this isn't directly related to the album, but this is really a celebration of Neil. So I remember the, the Neil concert that we went to in that's right. uh, 2001. Uh, and one of the highlights, a song not on this album, but uh, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, which was originally a Neil song. Uh, later, Urge Overkill did it for the soundtrack of Pulp Fiction, which kind of brought it back into That's right. the, uh, the mainstream. And, and they do a nice version of it. Great um, version. But if you remember, Neil, who at the time was in his early 60s, he, he's singing Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. And he pulled a girl up on stage from the front row who must have been like 15, 16, <laughs> And he is serenading her. Uh, and she's like, it's, <laughs> however old she was, it was kind of like borderline uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and at the, by the end, Neil is like, he's on his knees. He kind of ends up sprawled on his back and the girl walks down <laughs> into the crowd. And he, he just goes, anybody have a cigarette? <laughs> and That's it was right. amazing, but you know, a little disturbing, but uh, in a wonderfully harmless way. <laughs> and do you remember the woman sitting behind us? She was probably in like her 50s and she was there with her daughters. And she was like lifelong Neil fan. This was her first time seeing him. And um, he actually sang, if you know what I mean, in the concert. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's like, guys, 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 this is my absolute favorite Neil song. And she was almost in tears as as he was singing it. I, re I remember that. Wow, I forgot about that. Yeah. Quite a moment, quite a concert. Yeah. Now, what about you? Personal memories, pop culture references with this one? It's one that really uh, I go back to every time I, I hear this album and certain songs in particular. I had a friend in college who lived across the hall from me, and you know he was really your textbook typical dumb college jock. <laughs> uh, but a genuinely good guy, albeit with some major demons. But he had this tall, commanding presence. He was the life of the party. His name was Colin. Uh, the girls loved Colin. I remember Colin. You remember Colin, sure. Um, great guy. And, you know, this was the mid-90s. He listened to gangster rap, hip-hop, all that stuff. Um, that was his, you know, his thing, you know, he would drink 40 ounces, mm -hmm. he would, uh, he drank everything. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he would play that stuff, and the girls would go hanging around his his room. But one night we were drinking in his dorm room uh, with his roommates, uh, and I was looking through his CDs, and nestled in between like Biggie and Nas was <laughs> was Neil Diamond, the Double Live uh, in America CD set. And I I pick it up, I go, Colin, what the? I go, somebody <laughs> leave this here, and he's like. He's like, no, John, no, listen, man, I'm, I'm a big diamond head. I love Neil Diamond. I go, seriously? He goes, no, listen, I, I love, love, love Neil Diamond. <laughs> so <clears throat> we, we developed such a bond over Neil Diamond. Uh, two people who are different in every way, he and I, uh, different musical tastes, different upbringing. Um, but it, it got to the, got to be that, you know, we would listen to Neil. And I remember once uh, being in his dorm room and he put on that CD and he's like, uh, you ever hear this one? And he put on Lady O. And I never heard Lady O before because it is a bit of a deeper cut. Yeah. And here was this big, dumb jock who did nothing but, you know, <laughs> slug down 40 ounces, chase women. And I'm, you know, I was jealous because he would get all of them yeah. uh, and, and listen to hip hop. And here he is really just immersed in Neil Diamond and in particular that song. And he sang along. He, he, he loved Lady O. And I remember him being quite a fan also of like that mid-70s Neil stuff. Like he loved B, Desiree, Forever in Blue Jeans, uh, Longfellow Serenade. So he was really into that 70s era. That's amazing. But this would continue on for a while. Uh, so that, you know, it could be a random Tuesday night and I'd be doing homework or watching TV in my, my dorm room and uh, I'd get a knock on the door and there's Colin. It'd say, uh, yo, Johnny, you want to have some slurps? That was his, his lingo for like, let's go get drunk and uh, we can listen to some Neil. And, uh, you know, next thing you knew, you're up till four in the morning playing Neil Diamond on repeat with Colin. <laughs> Um, we, we fell out of touch and I, I transferred to another college and it would be about 10 years later. I was out with, uh, with my then girlfriend and, and a friend of hers who also quite randomly knew Colin. Hmm. And when I asked her how he was and what uh, he had been up to, she said, oh, I guess you didn't hear. It turns out that a few years prior to this, Colin had been found dead in a hotel Las Vegas. And uh, he was young. He was, I think, 29. And I don't know for certain what happened, but based on what the girl said and you know what I heard from a few others and just knowing Colin, I think he had probably been partying too hard. But hey, if, if you're going to go young, what better way to go than to be found dead at a hotel suite at the Bellagio, right? Wow, that is... Man. But at any time I hear Lady O, or Neil in general, but particularly Lady O. I pause for a moment. I think about my old friend. That's that's touching. Yeah, I I definitely remember Colin from coming up to visit you. Uh, I actually remember Colin. Uh, what I remember about Colin is he walked in on me while I was showering in the men's room. <laughs> didn't, I, I didn't know this. I guess I hadn't locked the door, and uh, he just burst in, and I was there, buck naked, and. We sort of shared a moment where we were both like, uh, 
what's happening. And uh, yeah, you know, he apologized. And, uh, so. Was he like, um, uh, is anyone in there? And you were like, I am. He's like, is anyone in there? And you're like, I am, I said. <laughs> anyway, well, I'm glad you had, I'm glad you had that intimate moment with Yeah, with the wow. Was, yeah. He was quite a man. Um, yeah, yeah. He was. It's a shame. Yeah. Uh, Chris, how well do you think the album captures the zeitgeist of the era? Uh, I don't think that it does particularly well, and I don't think it was really trying to. I mean, uh, certainly on some songs, I think you get, you know, if you know what I mean, um, Dry Your Eyes has almost more of a late 60s feel to it, I'd say, early 70s. Um, you know, there is some of the easy listening 70s stuff here, but he's, as we said, mixed it in with a lot of jazz and ragtime Dixieland stuff. So I, I don't think he was really trying to make something that was super of the moment. Um, and that's fine. What, what do you think? I think there's a certain zeitgeist associated with this album. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what that is, it has everything to do with Neil's appearance in the last waltz. Uh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> which last waltz is so significant because when you think about it, the band were the first major A-list rock group, aside from the Beatles, mm -hmm. to call it quits. You know, anyone else, uh, Rolling Stones, The Who, Pink Floyd, they all continued touring. But the band were the, the first to have their final full-length concert documented and turned into a major motion picture directed by Scorsese. This is significant because 40-plus years later, people still talk about the last waltz. It's a watershed moment in, in rock and roll music, I think. Yeah. And it tops many critics' best-of lists. And it was a perfect snapshot of mid-70s live music. You had Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Eric Clapton, Van Morrison, Joni Mitchell all appearing. Right. So the fact that Neil was a part of that, albeit much to the chagrin of members of the band, and uh, many of whom were in attendance that night, as you said, it makes this album, I think, somewhat more interesting, somewhat more relevant, and somewhat more aligned with the zeitgeist of uh, 1976. And we talked earlier of, of Neil's performance there. Dryer Eyes is an outstanding song, and I think he really steals the show, in my opinion, in The Last Waltz. He kind of does. He's, he's one of my favorite performances from that, yeah. Now, interesting on uh, Dryer Eyes, did you ever hear the Sinatra cover? <laughs> no, but you can totally, I can totally envision him doing that now that you say it. Is it good? It's... Sounds like Frank Sinatra singing Dry Your Eyes. It's exactly what you'd expect. You know what Dry Your Eyes is about? Um, I feel like I did at one point, but it's eluding me. What? Please share. Based on what I uh, uncovered, it has to do with coming to terms more than a decade after uh, the assassination of JFK but also the subsequent assassinations of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy. Yes, that's I did read that. Okay. Yeah. That and it's very interesting that it gets kind of stuck at the end of this album. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of adds to this album's um, menagerie of different 
different things going on. Great song though. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. So what do you think? Perfect album? No, I don't think so. I mean, we've kind of touched on some of the low points. Um, but again, you know, probably uh, with Dry Your Eyes, if you know what I mean, Lady O, Home is a Wounded Heart. To me, those, those four songs are phenomenal. And how, oh, often, best. how often do you get an album with four phenomenal songs? Um, what, what do you think? No, this is not a perfect album. I mean, don't get me wrong. The, there are some incredible moments. Those four songs you just mentioned are, they rank up there with some of Neil Diamond's best. And as we both agreed, if you know what I mean, is his best. Uh, and the other three are outstanding. But, uh, and I appreciate the, the deeply personal nature of this album and that personal relevance that it must have had to Neil Diamond. Yeah, but when it veers off into the kitschy, campy, tin pan alley, ragtime thing, uh, it, it misfires. And unfortunately, there's you know two moments, two albums, two songs rather on the album where it just it, it misfires too much. Yeah, make it perfect. Great album, could be Neil's best, could be Neil's most ambitious, but perfect album, no, it is not. Agreed. But anyway, Neil Diamond. 80 years old. Folks, do yourselves a favor. Listen to some Neil Diamond during the month of January. That warm voice will warm you right up. And um, give Beautiful Noise a listen. Listen to some of his older stuff. Listen to even more of his recent stuff, right? That he's done in the last 10, 15 years. He put out some great music. Sure, sure, absolutely. We will be back next week with the season finale of season two of Listen Closely with John and Chris. Chris, how excited are you for the season finale? Don't give too much away, but just tell me, are you excited? I'm pumped, baby. I'm pumped. I might get a tattoo to commemorate this. Oh, little spoiler right there. (laughs) All right, very good. Christopher, thank you as always, and happy birthday, Neil Dunn. Happy birthday, Neil. Take care, John. Be well. Listen Closely with John and Chris is executive produced by John DiBenedictis, written by Chris Charmiello and John DiBenedictis, sound engineering and editing, Chris Charmiello, technical consultant, Ivo Kulishko, management, Kyle A. Mulvey and Associates, hair and makeup, Salon Destronzo. Listen Closely with John and Chris is produced using the Anchor podcasting platform.